Good on you, mate. Next week, it's going to be great. Um, I wanted to ask you a question before we sort of get into some meaty stuff. So I want to ask if you would put your hand up if you are going to believe everything that I say tonight. Can you put your hand up? No one. Man, that's all right. That's okay. Um, it's a strange question, but it's a weird one. But so often you can go to church, and if someone talks, you sort of just you know take what they say, and it's like, oh, it must be right, because he's got the microphone, and he's talking to everyone. Or she, sorry, don't want to start a kerfuffle there. But uh, <laughs> oh, what a great start. I haven't even got into it yet, and already people will be leaving. Um, but I don't want to, like, pull your leg or anything or tell you something that's not true. But I also want to encourage you, as a result of tonight, to actually go and check this out for yourself because maybe you can find something that I missed or maybe God's got something to say to you that he hasn't told me yet and he might help you to grow in this. So that's what I wanted to say about that. And in saying that, we're going to have a look at 2 Timothy, which is a book in the Bible that's towards the end of the New Testament and um, it's written by a guy called Paul. Now, if, does everyone know who Paul is? Everyone got a little bit of an idea of the bloke that Paul was? He actually wrote 13 books in the Bible, and most of those being letters, but 13. So that's most of the New Testament, at least half, or just about half, actually. Um, and this is his last one. So this is the last thing he ever writes. He's in a Roman prison. He's been in a Roman prison already. He's in prison again for a second time, and he's close to dying. He gets executed, unfortunately. Um, Shortly after writing this letter, we're not sure exactly when, but these are his last words. And he writes them to a young man named Timothy. Does anyone know who he is? Paul knows. Oh, excellent. That's, that's one. That's brilliant. We can work with that. But Timothy was a young man that journeyed with Paul, and he sort of learnt of him. Like Paul was his coach and, and mentor. And Timothy was actually placed in charge of a church in a place called Ephesus. And um, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians in the Bible, which talks about some really great stuff that maybe we can talk about another time, this is where Timothy has been charged. And no one actually knows how old Timothy is. All it says is that he's a young man. So if you're a young bloke and you're in the room, this I just want to encourage you because a lot of the time, things written in the Bible are either written by middle-aged people or for an adult kind of society, which is not a bad thing whatsoever. But... It can kind of feel like sometimes that us as younger people, it, it doesn't really become relevant to us until we get to this certain age where, oh, all this stuff was written about Scripture, about all these adults, and now I'm that old, so I better start listening. But um, Timothy, a young man in charge of a church, one of the first churches, as we know, in the modern world about 2,000 years ago. Incredible. I wonder what we would write if we knew that our time was coming to an end. So something probably not going to tell a lot of people, but it's worth thinking about. If you knew that at some point in the very near future that things were going to wind up for us, then I wonder what we would say. And um, as I said, Paul's written 13 books in the Bible. This is the last written word he has. Coupled, cu couple that with all of the places he visits and all the things he says to people, and all the things he prays for people. And these are the last words that God inspired him to write. Out of anything he could say, he said these things. So I hope that we are able to get something out of it. So 2 Timothy. Um, in 2 Timothy, to give a bit of an overview, the Apostle Paul reviews major issues like the roles of the Scriptures, the basics of leadership, 
the centrality of Jesus and the dangers of youthful distractions. Along the way, he also includes various personal notes, warnings, and nuggets of wisdom. And as you read 2 Timothy, you can learn not just from the letter's content, but also from Paul's tone. He demonstrates how to convey to your children and others the central tenets of your faith. So if that interests anybody, or if that's something you're really keen on, then that's good, because that's what you can find in this book. Um, Timothy is only, or 2 Timothy is only four chapters long. So if you're not much of a reader, like... It's hard sometimes to sit down and just read. This is for you because it doesn't go for that long. I think it's about, you know, four or five pages and it's done. So this could be for you. You could knock it over in a day. But to actually understand what it's saying and apply that might take a little bit longer. And um, there's some really amazing stuff in here. And we don't have un time to unpack it all tonight. But um, as I said before, I just encourage all of you guys to investigate for yourself what we're going to talk about and let it mould you and change you into Christ's image. Um, Timothy is a young pastor. And so it's written in the context that uh, Paul's sort of giving Timothy pastoral advice on how to run a church. But, and I know we aren't called to all be pastors because if we were, then we'd have no other people to do anything different. But it goes beyond pastoral advice. And this book is about how we should all live our lives and carry the message of Christ. And carrying that message looks different for us all. We've been put in different seasons and different places, you know, so we can't just all just, you know, stand up on a, on a table or something and start, hey, look, we're going to tell you about Jesus, you know. We'll get, you know, beaten up or something, which is not the idea. Um, so carrying the message looks different for all of us, but that's the beauty of God. He works in an infinite amount of ways, and He uses what we do and our talents as human beings and he uses us in different ways to spread his word to people that not all of us can reach. And that's cool. There's three key sections that you can sort of divide Timothy into. And we're going to highlight that. And yeah, so here we go. Everyone excited? Cool. There's some noise. Just making sure because, you know, sometimes if you don't look up and you can't hear anything, you just, you know, forget people hearing stuff. Um, so three key sections from Second Timothy that I want to highlight. And the first one is promises. There's, there's a couple of really neat promises in Timothy, and the first one comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, and from verses 9 to 10, and it says, He, being Jesus, so Jesus has saved us and called us to a holy life. And don't miss that, because that's important. It says, Jesus has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's awesome. Amazing. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, saved us and called us to a holy life. And not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And Christ Jesus was around before we were around. And then an event that we believe to be sometime about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came as a man, and all of that really amazing stuff happened, and he ended up sacrificing his own life for us. Incredible. And he did that because we don't deserve it. And he didn't do it for us, but he did it for him, so that his grace and his purpose could be fulfilled in us. And he calls us to live a holy life 
Because otherwise, if we don't do that, we're not different. And if we don't do that, we're not really changed by what he's saying. It's just a good story. And there's plenty of good stories out there. You know, you see lots of movies and that and books. But, you know, good stories don't change you unless you let them. You know, I didn't become some sort of, you know, raging soldier ninja when I watched Lord of the Rings. I liked the story, but it didn't change me. Um, cool. Ha <laughs> ha. Hilarious. Um, Second Timothy, so the hope and salvation through Jesus, before the beginning of time, Jesus is with us and he saved us because of his purpose and not ours. And there's nothing we can do to deserve that freedom, but it's given to us as a gift. And the second promise in Timothy um, we go to chapter 3, and we go to verses 12 and 13. And this is not so exciting, but it is a promise. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. <laughs> so anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a given. It's a promise. It's not really the most exciting thing. I mean, I don't wake up in the morning like, oh, Yes, following Jesus, I'm going to get persecuted, it's excellent. It's not, it sucks. It's really not great. But if we want to live a holy life through Jesus, that's what we have to do. Paul goes on to say, actually a little bit earlier in the book, he says this, he says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he, he describes that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, I don't, you know, serve army or anything or know a whole lot about it i have friends that do a family that has but i'm assuming and people will know a lot more about this than me that if you're a soldier in the army your job isn't to like quarrel with all of your other soldier mates it's to please your commanding officer and do what he says he says jump you sort of say you know how high um yeah and similarly anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. There's some interesting stuff in there. But yeah, join with me in suffering. Now, that doesn't cause us to live a bad life, but what Paul's saying to Timothy as a young bloke and in charge of the church for the first time is that, look, there's going to be tough times, but that's okay because those times help us to grow and those times are for the sake of Jesus, not by us, who gives us a free gift and causes and calls us to live a holy life. So that's awesome. In chapter two, it goes on to say in verse eleven to thirteen, it says, If we died with Jesus, we will also live with Jesus. And it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. But it says, If we disown him, he will also disown us. And verse thirteen is like the little pack. Um, it's like a little punchline. Well, it's a big one. It's amazing. It says, if we are faithless, if we lose our faith, Jesus remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. So, if life is tough and we walk away, or if someone that we know and love walks away, if we lose our faith, Jesus says he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. It's never too late. Some good thoughts. We might get back to that later. So promises. So promises. Jesus promises that he has come to save us, give us abundant eternal life. These are going to be tough times. It's not going to be pretty, but join together and do it as one people for the love and glory of Jesus. And that if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. So promises there that are pretty awesome. So um, get into that. The second 
um, little category we can sort of divide the book into um, is warnings. So Paul writes to Timothy and he warns him about stuff. You know, there's going to be some tough times coming up and I want you to beware of this. And um, even though these are written a long time ago, like I said, about 2,000 years, these are extremely relevant. And it's incredible to see that really there are issues that from the passages that we'll have a look at that have become extremely relevant to modern society. So even though like before like the internet and state of origin and everything, all that existed, all this stuff happened and it wasn't great and we need to be aware of it today, probably even more than ever than to back then. But um, yeah, warnings. Um, chapter 2 in verse 16, it says, Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Um, that's a, yeah, it's, well, it is what it is, but it's tough. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Um, put your hand down if you've done godless chatter before. All right, everyone's done it. Excellent. Um, it's, it, it's, it's human nature. Uh, sorry. Um, but, you know, that, that's really how society functions. You know, we don't put God in much. We sort of, you know, disown everything he sort of asks us to do. He says, oh, be patient. And we just want everything as fast as we can, as quick as we can. We have to learn how to get it faster. Everything has to be instant, you know. There's a million more examples. Pretty much everything is an example of that. So, um, yeah, but avoid godless chatter. This is a specific warning in Paul's last ever letter that we know about in the Bible shortly before he dies, and he says, you need to be aware of this. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. It's not that, you know, it's okay to sort of do it every now and then because, you know, whatever. But it says you will become more and more ungodly, not you might, or it's okay if you do it for a couple of minutes or, you know, 60 seconds a day, that's fine. You will become more and more ungodly, and I sure don't want to be like that. Yeah. He goes on to say in first in goes on to say in verses 22 to 26, it says, "Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness." Now that's not you know youth are evil. That's not what it says, and uh, hopefully we're not most of the time. But yeah, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He then goes on to say, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Now, those are NIV words, so I don't think that's what they said back then, but that's what it says. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That's what we talked about before. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. His opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant, the, grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap, the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, there's some pretty meaty stuff in there. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments. Again, if, if something gets mentioned twice in the Bible, especially in a particular chapter, or you know, in close proximity of each other, it's usually really important. So don't miss that. And opponents must be gently instructed. Now, there's some people out there, you know, that don't actually just care about that at all and are just more than happy to do things their own way. 
Um, they'll probably tell you you're pretty stupid following this. And um, sometimes you don't really want to be kind to them. Um, at least I don't. And that's hard because you just want to sort of say, stop saying stupid stuff, mate, because like it's all here and... Mm. But be kind to everyone. Able to teach and not resentful. Don't hold resentment. And um, that one is something that doesn't happen overnight sometimes, but it's what we're asked to do. And opponents must be gently instructed. You know, we're not really called cool to sort of pick this up and start whacking people over the face with it. Um, that's not what it asks us to do. But to be gently instructed, you know, be that voice, but don't condemn people. Because it's not our job to really change people. It's our job just to live like this and plant seeds, and God does the work. Then goes on to say, the next passage is um, a bit of an insightful, bit of a prophetic thing. So if you're into that, then awesome. If you're not, that's okay too. You don't have to be. Everyone's into different stuff. But it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. That sucks. Um, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money, and they'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, it's an interesting word, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So that's a lot of ugly stuff. But it's also extremely present in most things that we do in society, in most places we go, in most things we see on the TV screen, in most things that we hear about in the media. It's all there. This one, the next verse is verse 5, and that is pretty hardcore. It says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Um, saying that people sort of know about God, you know. People understand that there's God. People are willing to sit there and listen to people talk about God. People are willing to read and sort of learn about God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And they'll deny its power because they'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, etc. No one really knows when the last days are. Jesus is very specific about saying, no one will know but my Father in heaven, which is God everyone knew but um, that is a lot of what we see and what we associate in the modern world people are lovers of themselves and lovers of money both for proud abusive disobedient uh, ungrateful unholy etc those values are really easy to carry on as well but it's a warning Paul says have nothing to do with such people be careful be careful that it doesn't creep into your own heart. And be careful that as an association with other people, you don't let it rub off on you or that you don't endorse it in any way. But then it also says back then, if you remember what we said, and we're sort of skipping through really fast, so sorry about that, but there's some, just wanted to sort of lay out as much as I could and let the scripture do the talking. But it says, you know, we have these. We see these people, and we can be them ourselves. You know, ungrateful, unholy, without love, blah blah blah. But we must instruct them gently, in the hope that God will grant them repentance. See, 
you sort of read that and you're like, I just, you know, I wish that would change. You know, I wish that I could get it and I wish that people around me could get that. But it's hard and we must gently instruct and we must be cautious by banding together and keeping godly values because we know that Christ called us to live a holy life, which is what was in the first chapter. And the Christ called us to live a holy life in Him. Not to be like this, but to change from this, to be like Him. Because if you don't, all we know is the world. All we see a lot of the time is the world. We don't see much of this other things, you know. Be patient, gently instruct, be kind. That's what we're called to do. And if we do it together, that's where change starts. Because people start catching on that there's a different way of life because they don't know it. And if we say there's a different way of life but we don't really change, then it doesn't really show that we take much value in it at all. You know, so if we say, oh, this is what we believe in, but our actions say a different thing, then does our actions really prove that Jesus matters? Something to think about. So yeah, warnings. Be warned, this stuff is going to happen. The third thing that Paul says to Timothy through this letter, um, short letter, is preparation. Be prepared. It says, prepare yourself with Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And um, if you want to read more about the Holy Spirit and how that sort of works and when that comes into you and what you do to abide by the Spirit, you can look up John 14 and then verse 15 onwards. So John 14, um, verse 15 onwards, talks about that. So it talks about Jesus promising the Holy Spirit will come and that he will come and live in us if we obey his commandments. And that doesn't mean we have to get it perfect because if it meant that, then none of us would have the Holy Spirit. But it calls us to live a godly life. And um, that's when we know the Spirit will be with us. So check it out, John 14, um, from verse 15 onwards. Um, so we're not here for another hour. Let's not read it, but have a look at it at home. But yeah, preparation. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Um, this is under the section um, in Timothy's letter that says a final charge. So this is the, the last thoughts that Paul has to share with Timothy, the last things he's ever going to write that we're ever going to read about. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God, thank you so much. Mate, I'm not sure what you just said, but you rock. And I'm going to take this home and put it somewhere special on the fridge. There's no higher place of honor than on the fridge. Everyone knows that. But yeah, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul's saying to Timothy, to be equipped for all this amazing stuff that God wants to do from you, read this. You know, to make more of an effect, read this, you know. Maybe not the NIV, but it's another Bible. But read, read this. And everything in it will help you be equipped for God's work. And then he says, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And uh, those words are important. So it's, um, it goes on to say, um, the time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine, so they won't be into this Bible. Instead, to suit their own desires, 
they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what they want to hear. So it says that, you know, there's a time that is coming, that has come in society and that will keep coming, where people will get sick of hearing what the Bible says and want to hear some stuff, so they'll just listen to people that say it. So, you know, be wary of that. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And then it says to Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. We're not all evangelists and our ministry all looks different, but keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. You know, the call to Christ is not easy and it never was and it never will be and it almost seems to be that it's getting harder. There's so much out there. There's so much exposure to information. It's very hard to keep a level head, to keep our heart content in Christ, and to keep moving forward in Him. Because I'm assuming that at least 80% of the voices in our society is telling us to do the opposite. It's okay. You don't need to listen to this. If it feels good, have a crack. It's okay. And that's not really, really cool to do. But... It's hard to stick out when um, when we're told so many things differently. And we can't really know what the truth is unless we sort of have a look at it for ourselves. I mean, we can listen and we can go to... We could, we could attend a church service every day of the week if people have services. I've never been to a Tuesday night church, but maybe there is one. Um, you know, you could listen to three different churches every day for the whole year. But unless it hits the mark for you, unless you really get into it and discover what it's saying to you, then you'll never really get what this is saying. I mean, it's a process. But you've got to be on that journey to experience the, the life that Christ has given to us and he's called to us, called for us to live by. Um, so yeah, Second Timothy, it's, amazing. it's an amazing letter. And um, First Timothy is really good as well, um, but you know, Paul really nails it in the sequel, which you know isn't very is rare because you know the sequel usually sucks compared to the original, you know, and unless it's Star Wars because you know Empire Strikes Back is the best, but like man, he he nails this, you know, and it's good, it's concise, it has everything we need, and yeah, young Timothy is charged with all this. And um, that's a bit of an overwhelming task. So he sort of said, look, there's going to be all this bad stuff. You know, God is, God's got you the whole way, 100%. If you don't know that, then I hope you do. But, like, Christ died for you. You can't change what he did. Like, you can't, like, undie. Like, it's not a video game. You, he died. Like, it happened. The sacrifice happened. It can't be changed, you know. But... Then he says, look, there's going to be all these bad things that are around you and you've got to avoid it. You've got to live all this godly stuff. Um, there's heaps more that you know we didn't really get around to, but it's definitely worth reading because if it's in the Bible, it's usually pretty good. Um, he says, we're going to get persecuted, but that's okay because it's all in the joy of the Lord. Instruct people who basically call you stupid because that's what you're called to do. It's a big ask. And some days that might come to us, you know, we live with Christ in our hearts, and some days we can. This will come easier. We carry the message of God in our hearts, 
there'll be those days where we might be presented with a situation, you know, someone might be a bit, you know, abusive, proud, disobedient, you know, or unforgiving, or do something that you just don't agree with, and you're able to handle that in a way that is instructed to us. But there's also those days that are just really tough, um, where our hope in God's promises becomes very hard to hold on to. And if you, in my young experience, through the people I've interacted with, even if you've been committed to Christ and committed to His way and getting into this for years and years and years, those days still come from what I've seen. Now, you know, I haven't seen all that much, but those days come where our hope in God's promises just becomes really hard. And hope is hard. And um, we might be overwhelmed or things just aren't going our way or life might just really suck because sometimes that happens too. Um, and um, I just want to say one more thing. So um, if we want to have some music and um, so we can have a bit of a reflection time, that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, so what I wanted to finish with, um, just remember, if you do look through Second Timothy, if you've been encouraged, the promise is that God died for us, called us to live a life in His image, and that He did that because we didn't really deserve it, but because it was His will to do it. He'd loved us enough, more than enough, to do it. There's going to be some stuff out there that's hard. There's going to be some stuff that looks pretty good, but isn't. We've got to be wary of that. And we have to be prepared so that when those times come and we're under the pump, we know how to deal with it. But sometimes hope isn't really easy to find. Um, hope isn't easy to find sometimes. We, um, but hasn't forgotten us. Hasn't forgotten, yeah, all of us. Um, hope isn't always on the headlines or on the TV screen or even in the faces of success. And um, no, hope actually waits in the shadows and it shines brightest in the most dark and broken places. And it's in restless pursuit of those who are lonely and forgotten. Hope is the greatest thing that we could have because without it, we'd be stuffed. That's right, it's true. Um, so if you've lost hope, then that doesn't make you a bad person because it's easy to lose and we can look for it in all the wrong places and never find it because it's not there. But hope and Jesus is coming for you. And in those really dark places, it's pursuing you without rest. So, um, yeah, that's all I um, feel led to say. But um, I guess as we sort of move into a bit of reflection time, um, it's just a good thing to sort of think about where we're at. And I just want to encourage you, whatever that means to you, let it mean that... Christ loves you, and He died for you, and you're more than enough. So.
Thanks, Steve. And I don't know, but um, you know, it's it, it's there's strength in God's word. There's power in God's word. And if if God's word has come to you tonight, that you feel a need to to come and and just to kneel at this place, or to or to just come and um, stand next to the cross. Maybe maybe you'd just like to come and stand next to the cross. You know, there's power in just identifying and standing up and saying, yes, Jesus, I want what you've promised in your word. I want what you've promised. I want those. I don't understand completely what, what, uh, what you've, you know, Stephen may have said tonight. You know, you may be a little bit confused. You might be empowered by some of the words that he said. But, but, but you know, there's power in just stepping out and saying, Lord, I want that hope. I want that love. I want that perseverance that you promised from your word. I want that guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you know, if you come, if you come here and, and stand out here, just stand here in the next to the cross here, you'll actually be saying in front of your peers tonight that you want what those promises are in 2 Timothy that Paul, his last word to us says that, you know, to Timothy, this is what you've got to do, Timothy. If you're to be the man of God that, that you know, you're meant to be, that God has called you to be, you've got to stand up and you've got to do this stuff. You've got to persevere. You've got to stand up for God. You've got to know that there's hope. You've got to persevere until the end. You've got to know if hard times comes that, that I'm with you. So if you want to, if you want to be one of those people tonight, and just stand here, you know, it doesn't take a lot to come up and stand here, but you know, it could be the me, the reason for you to actually live the life that that Timothy has has um, that Paul has put to Timothy. If you come and stand here tonight, it may be. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to persuade you out of into something that you don't necessarily want to do. But if you feel led to come and stand here next to the cross, and I, I pray God's blessing on you for coming here and having the courage to stand up here next to the cross because you're standing up and you've got hope and you want to change. You want to persevere. You want to persevere. You want the Holy Spirit in your life, guys, don't you? Jared, you've wanted change for years, but tonight you want, you want, to, you want to keep it. You want to keep that change happening. You want to put the past behind you and you want to stand here and you want God to bless you, don't you? That's right. See what happens. That's a good thing. That's a good thing because, you know, God is the God of surprises. He loves to surprise us. He loves to, to bless us, you know, in, even when we don't even realize we're going to get a blessing. So as we as we sing this song together, you know, I hope you can read those words up there, guys. Sing the song. You stood before creation. Eternity in your hand. Maybe there's some other people who want to stand here and just stand up for Christ. Stand up. Stand up with these other people that you want. You want to be a witness to them too for what you stand for. Stand where you are. Stand where you are.